Hello, hello. This is Tracy Harrell, and welcome to Bigger Than Me. Each week, we focus on how to achieve your definition of success and happiness. On Bigger Than Me, we bring together a combination of ageless wisdom, the latest research, and engaging interviews with amazing people who are sharing their stories to help each of us achieve our full potential. Your journey to transformation begins right now. Let's do this. Hello, hello. This is Tracy Harrell. We are on part two of this amazing conversation today. And again, our focus is around achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health. I am going to have you show the fire real quick, if you don't mind, um, Nathan. So I'm leading this national initiative. And what's really exciting about this initiative is we have a ton of people engaged. As you can see, this is a six-part series. And it is the Bigger Than Me success series. And this uh, Wednesday on 9-9, we are leading session number three. And again, it's the broader initiative is around a systems change. It's looking at where we are today. And we acknowledge that we are at a critical point in history where doing more of the same is just no longer acceptable. We're asking people to join us for this initiative, for real talk and real action as we lead real systemic change, focus on real solutions. And we are creating a safe environment for a diverse array of individuals. This next session on session uh, nine, nine, the session three is, is really gonna be focused on change, the psychology of change, why change is necessary. We're gonna be pulling in champions, talking about courage and accountability and really focusing on the voice of advocates and allies. It's gonna be amazing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that for me, Nathan. What really, what's really exciting about this is, in addition to these monthly sessions, I'm using part of this show, um, my weekly show called Bigger Than Me, to really focus on these deeper dives. So today I have two amazing psychotherapists, because <laughs> we obviously need to focus on mental health when we think about trauma, inequities, and exclusion. And I have someone who's actually uh, got you know, decades of, of experience in, in the school system. And primarily, I've been focused on this upcoming session is focused on business, achieving racial equity and inclusion in business. But it's really important for us to think about education as well and our youth, because we're doing all of this for the next generation. So we wanted to really focus on and identify that systemic change is needed in all of these systems. And the therapist that we have with us. First, I'm going to introduce Dr. Jerry Bertart. She's in Orlando, Florida. Dr. Jerry Bertart, can you identify? We, you know, we're on we're on part two now of this session. And can you identify who you are? First of all, tell people how amazing you are. And the last thing you talked about was, you know, how do you thrive when the environment around you is full of exclusion and inequities? How do you trust? And how do you thrive? We're just going to get right into it. So tell us who you are and go ahead and give people who have been traumatized hey. <laughs> in one of many ways. I am uh, Dr. Jerry Tart here in uh, Orlando, Florida, and I've been in the field of uh, psychology for at least 40 years. I've been in private practice for the last 
22 years. So to your question, uh, Tracy, let's just understand and talk about trust just a little bit. And I said early on that we we trust whether we realize, I mean, we value. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, tweak that just a second. I'm going to come back and, and use the terms interchangeably. But that trust factor, something that's solid, something that you believe in enough that you realize that because you are in uh, or you've, you've assessed the fact that you're in an unsafe environment, what is it that you know or you've experienced that's, that is safe? I choose to trust God. Okay. That's, that's mm -hmm. mine. I can't give that to anybody else, but I submit unequivocally that everybody trusts something. So whatever that is, then you find that and you decide what is it, is, is this thing viable enough to get me to go through what it is that I want? You made a statement early on in the last hour, Tracy, about taking the stand and identifying that somebody has to be willing to take that step. Somebody has to be bold enough. So I would submit that there were individuals in your workplace who believed that they could trust you to be that person who had the, you were the mouthpiece or whatever it is. And because of your level of confidence, even in your, as you told your story, you had experienced so many things in your world that gave you the clarity, as it were, to understand that God has called you to do something and you're going to do it, whether you look like everybody else or not. Um, trust means that there is something that we believe is solid enough to take us from point A to point B. If we've been in a pool of piranha, uh, piranha, how do you say the word? Piranha. Piranhas. Or we've been in a situation where there has been a great deal of fear or, or uh, anxiety or whatever, and we're making a conscious decision to choose to do something different. What then does it look like? What does it take? So you said, how do we make this happen? We have to clarify what it is and then to determine what's going to be my, my most effective tool. How do I, what, what does that look like? Okay, I can't, um, uh, I, I can't get in this pool with uh, a bikini on. Okay, bikini, bikinis on. I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna have to put on the right kind of attire. What does that mean? My mindset. My mindset has to uh, accommodate my circumstances. I mm. have to hold on, hold on. Now, that's gonna be one of my new most favorite lines of this series. Okay. My mindset must accommodate must. my must. circumstances. Must. Yeah, that's an absolute mm. must. Okay. That's we we can't have step. If this is real, you start, we're talking about change. What does change look like? Okay, I don't want to be eaten. Okay, then what am I going to have to do to not get eaten? All right, what does that look like? And it may be a little bit difficult to get into that sweat uh, 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 wetsuit. It may be a little bit difficult to step into whatever, whatever, whatever it's going to take. What if the tool may be a little bit heavy because we've not utilized it. We've not believed in it enough. Uh, Kiana, you said something early on about. Um, not only desensitize, uh, uh, desensitizing, but we we uh, uh, normalize. We we incorporate it as if it's this is all there is. There there isn't. That's that's not that's not true. That's another part of understanding that trust. We've got to determine what's true, what's a real fact versus a false fact, as it were. That's not true. And do I choose? And it is about conscious choice. Do I choose? What do I evaluate it against? What's my major premise? What's my minor premise? What then does my conclusion look like? If my major and minor premises are false, my conclusion is going to be false. Okay, mm -hmm. I've got to test that. 
Am I willing to go there? Am I, I'm going to look different. I'm already different. So embrace that. I already look different. I'm, 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 I'm the ugly duckling in the pool of ducks. So, hey, it is what it is. And I don't say that uh, uh, to be flippant. I really don't. I'm saying that there are some, there's that mindset that we have to embrace. So what does that take? And sometimes it's not soft because the, the traumatic experience is not soft. It is already unsafe. So I have to be willing to go that extra mile. I have to be willing to say, and then, and then can I, is, is it, am I the only one who's doing that? Let me see if I can find like-minded of uh, like-minded individuals who, who are willing to step with me. Okay. We, no man is an Island. We, we didn't do this by ourselves. If we look around us, then do the comparison. Is this blue or not? Is it blue, red and white? Do I call all of the colors on this or do I just focus on the, 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 the majority color or the major color? Okay, what about the rest of it? How important is that? Is it, is it as valuable as the one that we are focusing on? Okay, if we're saying that this is, I want inclusion, I want inclusion. Well, what, what do you want to be included? What, what, what do you want to be included in? Okay, what is that about? Does it truly, and seriously, does it truly represent who you say that you are? Sometimes that clarity comes when we realize, you know what? I don't want to be in this pool of, of piranhas. I can't say that word. I'm sorry, you guys. I don't want to be in the, I don't want to be in this pool of fish that's going to eat me. <laughs> I don't. But that doesn't mean that I'm, thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. I appreciate that. That that what I'm saying is that you're saying I've made a conscious decision to do this dip to do this differently. Does it have to be this hard? Okay, but we are talking about um, the inclusion. We are talking about the impact of exclusion. Okay, if I make come come on guys, if I make a conscious decision that this isn't where I choose to be then guess what? I'm not excluded anymore. I'm choosing to leave. Right. I'm making a conscious decision to leave. If I want to be included in this, then I'm saying, come on now, all of these colors are critical to the existence, the usage of this system that we say that we are in. That's all you know, I'm trying to say. You know, Doctor, I, I love what you said so much. And then I'm going to come to you, Kiana. But what I love about what you said, it just kind of <coughs> keyed exactly on my experience. You were with me as I was going through my traumatic experience. Yes. yes. And we both were leaning on Jesus. <laughs> and, and that was critical throughout the process. Uh, what I love about what you said is there were two things. You just said, you know, when you when you know, I, I, first of all, the mindset must accommodate the circumstance. We're gonna we're yeah. gonna keep coming yeah. back to that because that is huge. And Kiana, expect me. That's what I'm gonna come to you to talk about him just momentarily here. The mindset must accommodate the circumstances. But what you just said was sometimes when you realize that the piranha is nipping at your heels, and you 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 get to decide. You know what? I I don't feel comfortable being nipped every day. I can decide to leave this particular pool. And I have to tell you, while I was in my last corporate experience, and again, I'm not calling the company out at the moment because I honestly think there's there were so many amazing people that were part of the process 
the system was designed to to maintain the status quo. So uh, my progress was I did make progress, but at the end of the day, I wasn't willing to like not even after they kept telling me, girl, I really hate the one thing we hate to tell people is that you're ahead of your times. We're going back to the basics. Those kind of things were being told to me and I heard it, but I kind of didn't hear it because I was was being pushed internally. God was making it very clear. It's about justice and progress. Nobody should ever experience what I experienced. Nobody should ever experience what these interns were coming to me about to commit suicide over. It is unacceptable. And you said, you said, Dr. Tart, you could decide to leave the pool. I actually had an amazing individual, Rich, uh, actually say to me, black, black, you know, leader in the company. And I was telling him what was going on. He said, you know what? You are a smart girl. You can get a job anywhere you want to. You do not have to, you know, you can bounce was his quote. You can bounce. And it, and to be two, there were two, two elements that came into that. When you're in the middle of trauma, you're like, that is so true. But I was in the middle of trauma that I thought I could change. Yes. Like, I didn't think I was just in the middle of trauma, just some little black girl having some issues. I was an amazing black girl that was having some issues that was clearly, you know, an injustice. It was clearly something that I thought any human being with eyes can see what's happening. I can change. These are great people. I can change this. Like, I just wanted to know that I, no one, ever, no one would ever have to experience what I experienced. So even though he was telling me, you can bounce, two things were happening. I really liked seeing my check hit my bank account automatically on the 15th and the 30th of every month. <laughs> just saying, I, I actually, it didn't stop me from pushing them. So I couldn't leave voluntarily, full disclosure. It's like, uh, you got to cut that. I, I really thought I could change things. And I was willing to endure whatever I needed to throughout the process because I just knew, I knew in my heart of hearts that I could change things. I think I still can and I still am, clearly, right? And God had his plan on what that was going to be. But when, when the guy said bounce, because someone's going to tell someone who's in trauma that they could bounce. And I want you to know when, when someone says that to you, it may not even make sense in the moment. It didn't even make sense to me in the moment. It wasn't really an option for me just so that you know. And for some of the people, it might be, and it makes perfect sense. Now that I'm outside looking in, I'm like, you probably should, you know, there's a couple of hundred things I could have done. So, so great advice. I'm just sharing that for me, it was, it was like a non-option because I, then I couldn't change things. Like I, I felt like it was, my experience was so perfect, perfectly unjust. <laughs> it was like such a huge injustice that if anything's going to change, it's going to change on my back. Um, and I was willing to sacrifice my career if needs be in order to keep fighting the fight. And I still am. So praise okay. God for that. Okay. The other thing you said was you could make a conscious, conscious decision to leave, or if you're going to stay, then you gotta realize that it's gonna be hard, mm -hmm. right? You gotta yeah. find yeah. other people that are like you. So now you're talking about support systems. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Talk one little moment about support systems, then I'm gonna go to Kiana. Okay. One of the Why is reasons, it important to find someone like you, someone to support you? One of the reasons um, that support systems is, is a value, I think we said this early on as well, when uh, there is that, that constant reminder that something is wrong with you, self-doubt comes, and when you know that you are on a mission and you see the evidence, the evidence is around you that there is a need for something to be done. If there is, and, and, and here's the deal, 
when I'm when I'm when I'm talking about or when I talk about like-minded people, it's it's not to say that they're going to think exactly like you, but they have the support. They possibly even have the willpower. They have connections or whatever. They are willing. They recognize your fight, your fight, or they recognize uh, your focus, and they're willing to give you the kind of support that you need. You might you might still be the only mouthpiece who's saying whatever it is that you're saying, but there are others to say she's she's she has a point. She has a, a purpose. She's she's on the right track. She's whatever other than something negative. So the necessity for the like mindedness is for that collaborative kind of thing that we're talking about. The system is huge. We don't know how huge, but the system is huge. So there is strength in numbers. So as you go forth and you're saying that I've got this person in this position or this person and this person or whomever to give me that that kind that that um that sense of safety as it were or they, they, you're building a wall around the the fort as it were to to give you the the impetus to keep it moving i love it that's basically this concept of allies and advocacy yes yes excellent i love that Absolutely. i love that miss 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 kiana similar question we, we we ended the last session and we're starting this one focused on first introduce yourself again and then tell us why is this concept of your mindset must accommodate your circumstances? That's like girding up, get, getting getting ready, right? To be in a situation where hopefully you could either be a part of change or you could at least thrive. Making your mindset accommodate the circumstances. Why is that so important? You're in mental health. This is your thing, right? Getting people's minds right. <laughs> right. So, hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Kiana Gandy. I am... Um, a recent graduate of Georgia State University with my master's in clinical mental health counseling. And you heard Dr. Tart say she got uh, 40 plus years in the game and I'm about four months. So um, <laughs> nice little dichotomy there. But to answer the question, I think one of the main things that I see with clients when you talk about um, your mindset needs to match your circumstances is that a lot of times there's a contradiction or there's an imbalance. So, um, if someone is saying to me, I want to make more money, right? So that might be a circumstance you want to have. I want to make more money. And on the other hand, you don't have a very good work ethic. So I want my job to pay me more, but I don't like working very hard, right? And that's, a, that's an example of my mindset is not matching my circumstance or my desired circumstance. And a lot of times when people talk and people are, are saying something verbally, they're not all the way aware that there's a huge disconnect in what they're saying their mind is at or what they want and what actually they're going to get with that same behavior. So I think, again, um, identifying and calling a thing a thing is the first step in helping people and helping yourself realize my mindset does not match this outcome. Or another way to go about that is if someone's saying, you know, I want this in my life and this in my life or this is going wrong and this is really going wrong is asking them, if everything was going the way you wanted it to go, what would your life look like, right? What would it look like if everything, the things you don't like and the people that get on your nerves and every, what would it look like if all that was fixed and changed? So then you have this cute little idea of this is what I want, right? We can call that a goal, okay? Or if there's something, um, or if there's something that, um, or if there's something where we're not able to come up with that, what's maybe a smaller step or a medium step or something that, that, we can, that can be tangible, right? So one thing is, is calling out contradiction, right? And then it's also not having people see like, oh, I'm way over here and what I want is way over here. That's so different, right? Is getting people to maybe if we did one little change here, what if we did one little change here? If we don't like working hard, what's maybe one thing that we can put all of our effort into? 
right? So we have this big idea, but then it's also about shrinking back and zooming in so that it doesn't seem overwhelming because most people have some type of dichotomy. They're, they're, they're having a lot of contradiction. And a lot of times confrontation is something that can be that light bulb for a lot of people. Uh, hey, you're really saying that you don't like to work hard and at the same time you want more money. Those don't match. What, you know, what do you think about that? And even that alone is enough of a light bulb for people to, to think about something different. And I think that might, those are baby steps to what Dr. Tart mentioned in getting our mindset in the right place because whatever we water is gonna grow. So if you have one seed of hard work and you have one seed of laziness, whichever one you water is gonna grow. So we can really go either way. It's just up to you and what you're going to direct your energy towards. Mm, mm, mm. Lordy, 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 we got some good <laughs> conversation going on here. One of the things that I got, I got to ask you to go a little deeper on is you talked about this concept of contradictions, but you also talked about this dichotomy, right? When you have two things that don't necessarily match, so when your when your uh, actions don't match the desired outcome, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you flip that just a little bit, because mm -hmm. basically, imagine you were talking to Satya Nadella right now. I love him. I really do. Hopefully he knows when I use his, use his name. I'm saying it in a loving way because I think he's a great uh, CEO. I think he needs some help in his areas of diversity and inclusion. And so if you were saying to him, because I've heard executives say, we don't understand why our retention rates are so low. And I'm saying it's because you choking people out is actually relatively easy for those of us who've had the knee on our necks. We can tell you that we can tell you how and why. Like for years, decades, they, they say the same thing about their actions are not revealing the outcome. They can bring black people in all day. We don't stay. Many don't stay. The majority don't stay. The system is designed for us not to thrive, basically, for many of us. And I'm not talking for all black people, but I am saying I had thousands of interviews with black people in corporate America. And so I'm feeling pretty confident that my that the numbers are telling the story that I'm just annotating. <laughs> I'm just annotating the story that, that we see before that the numbers are telling. So what would you say to leaders? We're talking achieving racial equity and inclusion. Your actions are not matching the desired outcome. But the reason I'm bringing people on to tell their stories of trauma, I'm assuming if you say you want to create an equitable and inclusive environment, and we got story after story after story of people saying it ain't, it's not necessarily happening to the level of consistency that you might like. What would you say psychologically diagnose help to, to, to move that conversation forward with someone who's in leadership? Yeah. In the right outcome. Yeah. So I think two different things. One is if we're saying, if we're looking at, um, uh, objectives or a mission statement, right? And these are the things that we're saying that we value, or these are things that we say we want represented in this company. Is it something that you truly actually believe, right? I think that's step one is if what I'm saying is what I actually want, it's going to be easier for me to change my behavior. If what I'm saying is kind of what I kind of want or what I don't really care about, it's going to be a lot more effortful for us to make changes if it's not something that we intrinsically desire. Right. So I think a, a, a nice checks and balances is when uh, companies are making these objectives or these goals is if we hit this goal, what would it look like? 50 percent retention, 90 percent retention. What would that look like um, if we were doing employee satisfaction rates? What percentage of them do we want to say that they're satisfied? What what to us makes um, would would indicate to us that we hit that goal? 
right? And then I think again, the other thing of that is going back to what Dr. Tart mentioned is having like-minded people. So that's not the same thinking people, but those are going to be people invested in the same goal. And I think when we have um, companies or organizations where the person at the top might not be seeing or people within the company are not seeing the goals that um, they're saying that they want, that there is some type of disconnect, right, from what we want and what's happening. So who on the end of the actual change makers, the decision makers, what are different ways if the CEO is not the one to think of everything, right? What are different people at the table? What are different ways that we can go about solving this problem? Because the way we're doing it right now doesn't work. So there's clearly a dis disconnect. So if we can say, okay, we absolutely believe this, this is actually a true value of this company, awesome. Then we can get to the other side and say, what are some ways we can measure it? And then on the other side of, of that is also, if we come back and we get measurements and it's not what we want, something has to change. And I think what we see a lot in corporate America is a lot of talk and not a lot of different action. I would say a lot of the same action, right? Um, we can hire diversity or we can make the really creative Black Lives Matter commercials. I think we see a lot of that throughout a lot of different companies. Um, and I think there are a select few that actually make that change to where you see um, changes in uh, maybe monetizing or retention or employee satisfaction or support from the public, that there's ways to measure that. Um, and, and if it's not what you want to happen is not happening, there's a disconnect and there has to be something that changes or a person that's thrown in the mix, someone's taken out of the mix. Um, so yeah, there's several, several different factors. Mm, mm, mm. I am so grateful to be in all, each of your presence. I'm telling you. Can you guys believe we're already at halfway through the mark? Is this the fastest hour of your life, right? It's so amazing. We're literally 30 minutes into this uh, second conversation. So I'm loving this. And this is exactly what this is exactly the messaging that I was hoping to get out. And we don't, we didn't have a plan. I just said, we're gonna talk about equity and inclusion and the psychology of change, right? And here we are revealing these, these amazing truths. So thank you both so much. Now I'd like for Ms. Zelda Jones to introduce yourself again, Zelda. And, I, and the, the, the thing I want you to talk about real quick is this idea of, I'm just going back to the, the new quote that I'm gonna use all the time, Dr. Tart, I'll give you credit for it. Your mindset must accommodate your circumstances. And you said earlier at the end of the last session, we didn't have time to go into it um, um, until now, but you talked about being black in America is a traumatizing experience. And we have to get our mind right around that as well. Now, keep in mind, this is about, this whole initiative is around positive psychology, adaptive leadership and self-directed learning. So we definitely wanna, you know, stay positive, we want to keep people focused on the goal. We wanna identify solutions while also identifying, here's our reality. Right. So give us a bit of a reality check on being black in America and why, you know, for those people who think there isn't a problem, why it's so important for us to really, you know, ensure that our, our mindset, you know, accommodates the circumstances and or the solutions that we want. Hi, everyone. I'm Zelda Jones. I have a master's degree in curriculum and instruction, and I also have a specialist degree in educational leadership. I have taught school for over 25 years, and most of my experience has been with adolescents. I've taught high school. Um, listening to Dr. Tart and listening to uh, Ms. Gandhi, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of things that remind me of 
my overall thought process in terms of what it means to be a woman of color in America. And I'll start there because I think I can speak to that more readily uh, than I probably could to anything else. Uh, with that said, um, I think that as a woman of color, there may be things that I do uh, that create a level of not necessarily a discomfort, but a level of questioning in terms of my passion. Um, sometimes as a woman of color, I will elevate my voice. I get very passionate about something. Uh, and it, be, it may be misconstrued um, when you are passionate. Uh, and I'm thinking most especially about a phrase um, that has been tossed around and coined. Uh, and that phrase is the, um, the mad black woman. The black woman is mad. She's angry. She's she's this. She's that. When in essence, what she is is very capable, um, highly educated, uh, inquisitive, caring, uh, and maybe overzealous. Perhaps definitely passionate about things that she feels are important to her as a woman of color, as well as a woman who lives in a community of other African Americans. So I think just being Black in and of itself creates scenarios in which we have to explain ourselves or in some instances make apologies uh, when in essence it's just me being me. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with quote unquote being an angry uh, Black woman or a frustrated Black woman. It just happens to be something that is quintessentially me and it just demonstrates how passionate I may feel about a particular subject or a particular community or a particular group of, of individuals. I love that. So when you think about having your mindset accommodate your circumstances, are you thinking about how to um, clarify the differences, the different perspectives that you bring to the table so that others who experience you might understand that your outward appearance might not be the intended outcome. So it's really more about connecting and, and, and being black in America means having to, um, you know, not only get your mind to accommodate your, your, your circumstances, but also what's the term, Kiana? I think you mentioned in the last, in the last um, session that you were in around, you know, the, the dichotomy of our lives, like when you have to code switch, right? That concept oh, yeah. of, you know, yeah. We got to do this. So I can tell you, even though I was being traumatized because I was working to drive this racial equity and inclusion initiative, I smiled. I was the happiest smilingest. Um, did I tell you guys? I um, my 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 book Ignite Happiness, the book that I wrote my story in. I smiled the entire time that I was being traumatized, and I actually wrote about it in this book called Ignite Happiness, which was published last weekend and became an international bestseller in eight countries and 14 different Amazon book categories. Yay! It's so exciting. Woo! Yes. Woo! Now, this was me with like 37 other individuals from around the country. We wrote stories around igniting happiness. And each and every one of us was intentional about explaining that we didn't just, you know, I'm sitting in my garden right now with my daisies and my what um uh I forgot what that is. Hibiscus? <laughs> Hibiscus? I, I, I someone said it was in the um uh poppy family. 
don't know if you can see. Can you see that? It's pretty. It's, it's pretty. Anyway, uh, a lot of people ask me, is that a fake background? It is so not a fake background. These are my babies. So <laughs> I, I find happiness here. I find happiness in the garden. So when I heard you say your mindset must accommodate your circumstances, for me, it was around, and Dr. Chow, you talked about trust and trusting in something bigger than yourself. For me, there is a divine calling. So I was absolutely trusting that God was giving me the right communications, the right comfort. He was girding me up every day, knowing that I knew I was on a mission. I knew I was on a divine mission. I could smile in there every day, knowing that I was on a bigger than me movement, that it was a bigger than me moment, that I was about to change some things around the world. And I went in and I just, I did the work, right? But I was still traumatized along the way. And I think what I love to hear you say, um, was around these perceptions that happened. I did not ever, no one ever, could, they couldn't possibly say I was an angry black woman because I knew that that was one of the things that we couldn't, you, you can't give them an excuse. Traumatized black woman, I was absolutely that, but I definitely was that. Like, I, I definitely never, and I'm bigger and I'm blacker, darker mm-hmm. and taller, yeah. and there's already this yeah. thing. Oh, they could, ne- there was never in a time, even when I should have been an angry black woman. I never actually get, so I think it is important for us to get, you know, wrap our minds around, you know, the circumstance. And so what we write about in the book, what I write about in Ignite Happiness is find whatever that thing is that's going to bring you joy and tap into that. Tap into your own core values, knowing that, like Dr. Tart said, you know, being true to yourself is huge. No matter what the piranhas are saying around you, knowing that, hey, I'm not fish bait. The, the, the ducks are calling you crazy. I am a beautiful black swan, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, getting your mind right also includes that positive psychology, talking yourself up. And then I love that you said, and we're going to circle back in our last, can you believe it, 20 minutes. In our last 20 minutes, we're going to focus on this concept of allies, advocacy and allies. Each of you have talked about, again, getting your mind right to accommodate the circumstances, also reaching out and connecting with others. So I'm gonna start with you, Zelda, then I'm gonna come back around to you, Kiana, and then I'm gonna go to end with you, Dr. Tart. Uh, I'm gonna talk to you in general, Zelda. Have you ever experienced a situation where you experienced a lack of equity or you felt like you were being excluded and you had to connect with an ally or bring outside advocacy in? And if that's the case, why was that important? And what would you say to someone else who's who's out there on the fence saying, I don't know about this Black Lives Matter thing. Corporate America, I I don't know. So what could you say? Have you had the experience personally? And then if so, what would you say to, what did an ally mean to you? And what would you say to someone else um, who who, who, who we'd like to activate to become an ally? Thank you uh, for that opportunity. First and foremost, my biggest ally is God. I trust in God. I love God. I'm a devout Christian. so my faith, I would say, um, is the most important uh, support system that I have. And I, I, would, I would suggest to anyone uh, that they, they find a spiritual ally. Um, also, good friends, best friends, good friends, and um, the people who are in my same profession, they understand. I mean, you can talk to them, and they get it. And the fact that they get it is encouraging. And they can give you advice because you know that they know the circumstance. They themselves may have experienced something very similar. So finding other professionals, 
who you can trust, making them your ally has been beneficial to me. I love it. So let me ask you a question. You just said, I'm going to, I'm challenging you a little bit, if that's okay. Um, so you said, you know, I may bring someone else in that may have experienced something similar. So I, I'm just assuming you mean connect with a black friend. It's like these white people are crazy. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Don't write me no letters. I'm just playing. <laughs> but I'm assuming you probably, you probably were saying you, you connected with some black person that may have experienced something similar. What would you say, is that a correct assumption? Number one. You say you talk to a friend who's experienced something similar. Were you referring to black people, a black person? Most of my friends, yes, are uh, African-American females. That is correct. Okay, so my question to you is now, as you think about this concept of allies, because when you think about the civil rights movement, we would not have made the progress that we did unless, you know, it was a very integrated cross-racial, cross-generational, and we, we're seeing that now. We're seeing it in the streets of America right now, but I don't think we're seeing the level of strategic activation that we're actually moving forward here. We're saying walking in the streets, keep walking. Absolutely. But we're also saying we need to have some strategic activations that change policy and that actually change systems. So my question to you is, what would you say? And I don't know if you have anything, but but I'm curious. Is there anything you would say if you were in need that you would reach out to an ally or an advocate to say, hey, I need your help? How, how would that conversation go for you if you wanted someone uh, that, that didn't look like you to advocate or be an ally for you? Actually, I do have some friends uh, who are um, of a different ethnicity and race than myself who I have gone to in the past and who have come to me as well. Um, and what we normally do is we, we talk about the scenario. We talk about what has happened. Sometimes names are included. And once that trust, and, and by the way, trust is the number one element in a relationship. Without trust, you really don't have a relationship. So I, I trust uh, this person. That's number one. I trust them to respect my privacy, respect my feelings, um, and, and, and in that trust scenario, regardless, and again, most of my friends are African-American females. However, I have worked with and still continue to have relationships with professionals who are outside of my race, with whom I speak to and talk to about scenarios. And they've been very, very helpful, very understanding. Uh, in many instances, we, we, uh, we share and swap stories. We talk about how we've we've overcome it, or sometimes we just chalk it up to, well, okay, that's that person. And we know that that person responds in that way. So we know we have to do X, Y, and Z. So I, I don't find any discomfort in talking to a person outside of my race, uh, particularly if they are a part of my profession, we work together, we understand the system, and that there's that level of trust that both that person and I can come together and I don't have to worry about it going further uh, than either he or she wants it to go. Mm, I love that. So I'm kind of hearing you say, you know, the, the, the statement we're using now is how when your mindset accommodates your circumstances, you're saying you've been able to leverage allies in the past that did not look like you. Yes. After building a relationship and building trust, and then they were able, either able to help you understand the system, you guys were able to strategize, or they were able to step up and kind of connect in, in a way that was supportive and meant, meant something to you. I love that. So that was a little advice for those who might be in a situation, build trust, build some relationships, right? And then, you know, you're able to move forward. 
Miss Kiana, similarly, back to this, you know, your mindset must accommodate your circumstances. And we are focused on the session on 9-9. One of the key elements of that session is around allies and building advocacy. So from a psychological perspective, um, so I've had several interviews, several, several interviews over the last few days, some that were extremely draining, some that were extremely exhilarating, all that were very, very purposeful. I actually cried on an interview. <laughs> Dr. Tart, you said feel your feelings. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. So embarrassed, but I didn't stop talking. I didn't end the interview. I didn't pause or delete or pause. I was just like, I just felt my feelings in the moment. I got choked up. I literally got choked up. I, we, I was talking to a lady who worked in the civil rights movement, and she was talking about her experience. She's going to be on with us on 9-9. And uh, Dr. LaVon Bracey, she's there in Orlando. You yeah. met, I, I don't know if you met her. Know her. You know Dr. LaVon Bracey, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So she wrote this book called the, uh, A Brave Little Cookie. Right. She talked about her being the first black woman to integrate the school system. And she was talking about her journey. And as she was talking, you know, it was just I didn't cry when she was talking. I cried when the white lady popped on the call and, and she was telling her story. And then the combination of the two, I think I was feeling just emotionally. I was just feeling overwhelmed and so blessed to have such a dichotomy on that one call. I'm like, God, how can you be so good to me? Like these people just, you know, like it was just it was it was. She talked about having her head split open from the front to the back. She's like, I still have, you know, this scar, stitches that were in her head from the front to the back. Uh, as she was, you know, being tormented for this one year, her father, you know, she'll tell her own story, but long story short, traumatizing. But she, she, she was a brave little cookie. Her nickname was Cookie, and she was the one who integrated the school. So it's a very cute story. So she wrote her, she first she wrote her, her adult uh memoir and then she wrote a children's book called a brave little cookie to tell that story for children and so since you kiana work with children you know if you talk about this concept of race and asking you know individuals allies advocates to advocate for change for the children i mean for the next generation what would you say what, what would how would you help because the white lady came on board i'm calling the white lady and forgive me name was diane she was lovely um but that was a distinguishing factor because i was said i need white people calling all white people i'm not afraid to say that we need you to be part of this initiative it can't be a bunch of black people talking to ourselves about trauma mm -hmm. right because we're not going to change the system and so another white lady stepped up and it was so interesting because she stepped up even though i i emailed one of her i had an interview with one of her friends on a thursday that friend emailed her and said oh my god i think you would love to be a part of this initiative and she came back, apparently copied the friend and said, uh, I don't think so. Maybe I sent an email and said, oh, great. Um, we'd love to have you part of the panel. And she was like, gulp? Did you say panel? Discussion? About race? I, I, I'm not an expert. I, I, you know, like, I, I, I don't know if that's exactly what I, I, I that's not what I was signing up for. Can I, can I, can I help in a different way? And then that was Friday. I didn't see didn't email me or I didn't see the email or whatever the case may be. On Monday morning, I get an email saying, my response on Friday did not sit well with me over the weekend. I look forward to being a part of your panel. She said, I spoke to my daughter and she said, but mom, you believe in the Black Lives Matter thing, right? So you have to do it. And she was like, it's such interesting dynamics when a youth just breaks it down. So all of her fears were kind of wiped away because it was like, you kind of have to, right? If you believe and if you activate. So Kiana, I need you to talk to 
you know, that white person or that non-black person who has children who are being traumatized just watching what's happening in the streets. All of it, I'm traumatized. What words of wisdom, what would you say to help activate that parent or to help that person to get over their fears, to, to, to activate these allies and these advocates that we need so desperately to move this initiative forward? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I think what I've probably said like several times is it goes back to beliefs. So I think trying, especially in the world of allyship and advocacy, when um, there is a lot of opposition to what you're doing, there's going to be a lot of voices, um, regardless of what it is. It could be race, it could be gender identity, um, it could be religious affiliation, it could be anything. But anytime we're asking for allies and allyship, that means we need we need more strength in numbers and strength and intensity. In, in, um, intensity. So I'm asking you to come from where you're comfortable to where it's uncomfortable, right? And so when we ask people to get uncomfortable, there's going to be some level of sacrifice, some level of, um, I mean, it could be high, it could be low, but there's a certain level of sacrifice. And the sacrifice comes a lot easier when you believe in whatever cause that you're talking about. So just like you said, the woman's daughter said, well, do you believe in the Black Lives Matter movement? And it was easy as, oh, let me tap back into what I believe. Not all these voices in my head, not my anxiety, not my fear. What do I believe? Okay, I do believe that everyone should be treated equally. Okay, and just based off that alone, now I can move into a position of allyship. Um, And I think, again, it's always checking intentions because allyship is really attractive from other people when it looks like you're you're standing up against the bully, right? Everyone thinks that looks cool. Um, That's nice to brag about. You can say it at church. You can say it at a nice dinner. Oh, I did this or I did this, right? And reality when it's really like altruistic allyship um and advocacy that it's going to come from a place of humility of like i don't know what this is like or i don't know what that fight is because it's not me specifically and that's why you're an ally because you're from an out group in but given the privilege that i have or given the status that i have or given the position that i have i'm going to make myself uncomfortable i'm going to sacrifice my comfort for someone else and to some people the game you know, whether that just be a, a good feeling inside or you see someone get justice or whatever it may be, sometimes that doesn't outweigh wanting to be uncomfortable. And for some people, that you know, the choice is really easy to say, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-mm. You know, so I think it's tapping into, um, and for some people that motivation might be, what kind of world do I want my kids to grow up in? You know, mm-hmm. if I'm a white parent of a young child, what kind of world do I want my child to literally be a part of? A world that treats people like this or a world that treats people like this? And I think really basic questions like that can tap into enough of um, like, okay, I'm aware of my belief and I'm willing to be uncomfortable for, you know, fill in the blank cause or fill in the blank person. Mm, mm, mm. God is good. All the time. I mean, that, <laughs> wow. Amazing. Dr. Tart, Dr. Tart. We have nine minutes left, eight minutes, according to Nate. Maybe he's going to give us 7.5. So let me be brief in my transitional question, which is basically the same question that I just asked Kiana, right? This next session on 9-9, and these are clips we're going to use moving into 9-9 clearly, because that was powerful. So I'm asking you to talk to that ally, because it's really not, I mean, I talk to, I call out Satya Nadella all the time, and you can talk to him first because I'm asking him to be an ally, to step up, to do something different, to acknowledge basically that it is not all, you know, what glitters is not, you know, gold always, right? 
it may sound good that we want this equitable and inclusive environment, but he'd have to be willing to say, mm, so I'm not doing what I thought I was doing. So you mean we had our neon, we got, we have our neon people's necks unintentionally. So, so, so my first question to you is how did you talk to someone about this level of accountability? You know, CEO accountability was one of those key elements in the research is why things haven't changed for 40 years because people aren't being measured on true change. They're measured on doing things, but they're not measured on true change. So my question to you first, you talk to Saiti Nadella and any other a business leader, entrepreneur, um, manager, professional, we all are gonna be part of the change. What would you say to allies? First talk to Saiti, because I think his level of accountability is different than someone who's an ally. Talk to Saiti, professionals, business leaders about where, why they have an accountability and why we need for them to be allies. Because you can't tell someone what to do. It's really gonna be about their beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to say, uh, as Kiana was saying, that it is about the belief. I was thinking in a different, sort of a little bit of a different direction as it relates to allies. But as you just said, talking to the CEOs or whatever, and we, 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 we become um, transparent, as it were. We talk about uh, what does that look like? We literally ask the question. The other part of that is what is it that you, as uh, uh, has been stated already, what are you willing to give up? You know, it, that's going to create a level of uh, discomfort because if this is yours or you perceive this as being yours, you know, and, and now I'm saying the words because it's politically correct to say these words, but what then does that mean? What sacrifices am I willing to make? What sacrifices are you willing to make? Those are the kind, that's one of the questions. And then what does that look like? I mean, how does it, 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 it change not only the, the trajectory of your company, but the face of your company? Do, do, is, is that what, 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 how does that make you feel as it were? when you see that this company that has been in business for decades or, or, or whatever, a half a century, and now it's going to look different, is how does that make you feel and how, how true are you about what that feels like? Because now you're going to have to address some of the views that you may have had about whatever, those faces, those, those behaviors, those whatever, how it's going to change your company. And then does it represent what, you, you, what you're saying that you want it to represent? But before my time is up, I want to say the one other thing too, in terms of uh, having these allies, Guys, as I said before, I've been in this arena for a number a number of years, and I'm a, I'm I'm affiliated with a number of organizations, and I think that it's critical that we look at some of the things that we invest in, uh, financially, emotionally, physically, and then we go there. You talk about going to the root, uh, the, the the head the head of the the company or whatever. Then you're talking to these presidents and the CEOs or whatever, and you're saying that. You said that our mission statement was yada yada, whatever that is. And nowadays, most of the ones that I'm involved with, we're using those same kinds of terms that we're using on this uh, video right now. So if these, if this is what you say that you are about, then how are we going to go about making changes? And I was on a one of the Zoom meetings on Wednesday, and there were people from all over. I mean because it's the International Employee Assistance Program and people were from uh, all over. What then does that look like? And people were talking about it. And we had an, 
young lady who talked about her position in DC and what they have literally gone out of their way to do to include, to be, to, to be, to make that statement true for them. And, and, and that does require, Kiana, as you were saying, it requires a sacrifice. It means that I'm going to be open enough to say, no, I'm not taking uh, this for granted. If you say that this has happened, then we got to get out there and do that. I'm going to have to stand against that hard wind that's blowing against me to tell me that I'm not supposed to say what I'm having to say. I'm going to risk pushing back and saying that's not consistent. That's not in alignment with what we say that we stand for. And if I don't, and, and the other, seriously, as they, the, the adage goes, money talks, if you've got hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people who are uh, buying into your organization and you say that you stand for that and they're saying, but, but, but you're being untruthful, then maybe I'm going to take my little ducat someplace else and I'm not going to participate. And sometimes you have to make those hard choices when you do your due diligence and see what they stand for. I, there's a major organization that I choose not to become affiliated with because it's incongruent with my value. Okay, so we've got to go there. We have to talk about those kinds of things too. Now. I love that. With 1.5, one minute and 30 seconds left, Dr. Chart, let's talk about that last thing you just said, accountability. That's how we're going to end this Bigger Than Me series, is basically lovingly inviting people to change and graciously inviting people to, to, to be a part of this, giving them support and, and, and congratulations when they do. But at the end of the day, you do have to say at some point, you're just not safe to work at these companies. If you right. can't acknowledge that trauma is existing, right? It's not safe to work there. And it's going to take allies, and individual allies, to change things. 30 seconds, Dr. Chart. You're talking to just the regular Joe who, who's, who, who you see something, say something. What would you say psychologically to the allies similarly to get past his fears, to lean in, to be a part of this movement? First, I would I have to ask them, what does that look like to you? You say that you want to be a part of this movement. What does that look like? Can you, can you articulate that? Okay. That's, that's one of the things that I would say to them. What does that look what, like? And then, what about the one who doesn't know that they want to be a part? We're saying uh, you need to, we're asking you to be a part. It, it, yes. Okay, then just, you said this early on. What does this feel like to be outside of this? What does that feel like to you? Okay, can you talk about that feeling? And sometimes maybe they can't. Okay, and that's okay too. That's okay because it takes a minute sometimes for us to get there. So we have to do something a little extra in terms of soothing them and helping them there. I love that. So we're going to be soothing and helping, lovingly guiding people throughout this process. That's what the Bigger Than Me Success Series is all about, achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health. It is a loving initiative focused on positive psychology, adaptive leadership, and self-directed learning. So ladies, thank you so much for today. Our next session, put up the slide as we close out, is on 9 Nine, September 9th, if you could just showcase that as we roll, roll, roll out, that would be awesome. Um, it's the September 9th, 4 p.m. PST. Join us as we continue to change the status quo. This is Tracy Harrell. It's bigger than me.